Acom presents the A-Game podcast, hosted by Jeff Culleton and Nadia Heider. Today, our guest is Andrew Alexander, a partner in the intellectual property group at Calfee, Halter, and Griswold. We sit down with Andy to investigate copyright law as it relates to social media. When is it okay for a brand to repost someone else's content? What are some of the safeguards brands can put in place? What does the average user need to think about when making and posting UGC? It turns out that because this media sector has moved far faster than case law or legislation, the answers are far from black and white. Instead, there are many shades of gray. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the A-Game, AdCom's podcast about what's new and next in marketing. Uh, today with me, I'm excited about this show because it is off the beaten path for us. Very pertinent, but off the beaten path. So with us today, as always, my co-host coming back from a week off, Nadia Shiner. Hello. Hi. Nadia. Hi. And then with us, our special guest today is Andy Alexander from Calfi, uh, from the IP department. Al- uh, Andy, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. So, you know, the crux of today's conversation is something that is really pertinent to us, but well, I, I'll say I'm the only one in the room without legal training. But we continuously in our conversations with our clients through the, li- the lens of social media end up in conversations about uh, compliance, end up in conversations about copywriting infringement, end up in conversations about what is applicable to be shared. Uh, and, you know, if somebody's tagged, you know, does that allow me to use their content? Um, this is this is a hot button for us, and we have clients who react to it very, very differently. We have people who are hyper diligent, and the, one of the examples I use uh, is a, a consumer products group we have. Somebody shares a piece of content uh, of them at a Starbucks with their product. They see the cup in the background. That is flagged as a no go uh, because there could be some sort of conflict. So. You know, when we're giving guidance to people, obviously we're not giving legal guidance, but we punt so much of the time. So the reason we're having you on the show today is kind of talk through, you know, what are the guardrails? Like, what are the definitions? What are the things that we have to be looking for um, in these conversations? And then ultimately, you know, when do we need to raise our hand when it's time to bring in some sort of legal expertise? And I thought maybe you could just start by um, letting everybody know what IP stands for, because you said he... You're an attorney and you work in? Intellectual property. Yeah. I, IP stands for intellectual property. Um, and I think, you know, there's areas of um, the law that carve out fair use of different IP, different intellectual property. And I think um, we'll talk a little bit about that. And like I was saying, you know, before we started this, the podcast today, it, it's a lot scarier if you don't know the law and it seems intimidating. Um, there, there are you know a couple I think pertinent areas of uh, IP law that apply to to marketing and advertising, primarily um, copyright, trademark, and probably right to publicity as well. Um, do you think it makes sense for me to kind of talk about those and, and give a high level example of what those are? Yeah, absolutely. Shoot. So uh, copyright is, um, that protects individuals' um, original expression. So think of art, you know, paintings, um, music, songs, movies, that kind of thing. Um, It also protects 
uh, not so artistic expression as well, like even you know a, a cookbook, how it's arranged and things like that. Not or, just bad art, n- right? Uh, right, exactly. Not so artistic. Yeah, well, art. It, it protects uh, it, it, tech, it protects bad art and good art. Yeah. So it doesn't. It, there's no qualitative assessment here. So <laughs> perfect. Um, well, open the cover of any book and you'll see inside. Right. right? right. Copyright. Right. Right. Exactly. A date. Yeah. Um, so any original um, expression. The author owns a copyright. Yep. Um, it doesn't matter if they register it or not. The the, the ownership vests once, once they uh, express it in a tangible medium. So once they put the pen to paper. Um, oh, the copyright just exists by virtue. Of, there's no like form that has to be filled or office that has to be visited or signature that has to be. It's just exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. You, you own a copyright. Once you make, you know, once you make a, a song or, mm-hmm. or a drawing, mm-hmm. you own that copyright as long as it, you know, fits the bill. If it's original and it's expressive enough, which is a low bar to the, the originality expression, it really is. It's a pretty low bar. Um, like a like a phone book you can you know there's there's some some thought behind you know how that's all arranged and there's some expression you know like source hmm. code too that that's that's copyrightable yep. but i think for for purposes of your audience the that's more kind of we're more thinking about photographs videos that kind of thing um to sue for copyright infringement you do have to register it with the with the copyright office but um so that covers copyright and um i'll I'll talk for a second about th- there's a car. So the copyright gives you a bundle of rights exclusive to the author. Okay. Um, the author is the only person who can copy it. They're the only one that can perform it. They're the only one that can make derivative works. So think of, um, you know, making a film from a, a book that's a derivative work. The So the, the copyright owner is the only one who could do that. Does making a sequel to an existing film fall under the same? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a derivative work. So, um, so when you see, you know, uh, a, a movie adaptation of a book that, that pr- production company presumably got the rights from the, the author of the book. So, um, you know, making copies, derivative works, performing, um, that kind of thing, that's all in the right of the author of the copyright. Um, there's certain the Copyright Act carves out certain fair uses too, which are um, th- there's some examples in the statute like you're allowed to comment or criticize work, hmm. and you can copy it in doing so. Think about like a you know an, a book review. You got to quote, quote some of the book to be able to critique it. So you're allowed to copy that you know a portion of the book and critique it. That's that's carved out. And that's a fair use. Um, you know, parody. There's a their famous Supreme Court case um, about two live crew um, oh. parodying par- parodying a song um, that was considered fair use, even though they used you know the same composition, the same the same like hook. Um, Uncle Luke. Like, I don't remember. You don't remember two live crew? Mm-mm. This is famous. Even I remember this one. I'll. You can go look it up on your own because it is uh, rather lewd. I will. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so there's there's certain uses carved out that you're allowed to use that kind of further um, the interests of society. You know, they're good they're good things that the that Congress wanted to promote. You know, criticizing comment, news reporting, um, that kind of thing. Um, the test there is really, you know, are, are you you know transforming it or using it for a different purpose? Um, there's four 
four kind of factors that you want to consider to see if your copyright, your copying is fair. You know, you look, can I pause sure, for one sure. second? So just for the you know audience, um, when you say there the statute and you're you're talking about a federal statute, copyright yeah. laws is um, governed by a federal federal statute that Congress wrote. Yep, and exactly. passed. Okay, right, right. so each state doesn't have its own set of rules about copyright law? They don't, no, and, and actually they can't. It's preempted by the federal, the statute, right. the code, the U.S. code. So um, states can't make any kind of law that would um, grant relief based on the same, uh, on copying somebody's expressive Yeah, got works. it. Perfect. Yeah. Just wanted to sort of level set. Okay, yeah, go on. Bring were, me back down yes, to earth whenever I, to... I can. I just can go off and, you know, well, I talk to lawyers all day, so. This, and so I think it's interesting. So I think, you know, music, art, so on and so forth, those are things that have a really long runway. And what we're talking about through the lens of our audience is a relatively new series of expression, platforms of expression. How has that changed over since the advent of of social media and since the advent of people having ubiquity of phones in their hands all the time and the ability to share consistently? Like, what is how has that you know transformed the legal side of it in terms of interaction with brands and social and you know copyright? It seems interesting. There's there's probably going to be an overlap between like uh, some expressive content that a user makes. Um, and the copyright um, protection they might benefit from, and then also something separate, which is like the use of a logo, right? Yes, that's different. Yes, different. That's, that's, okay. tra- that's trademark law. Exactly. I'm happy to talk about that as well. But, sure. Um, you're right. These platforms, um, they're really built on sharing content. Yeah. Sharing other people's content. You know, if you think about Instagram. Um, you know, you can share people's posts and pictures that they've uh, posted in your, I think it's the, uh, there, there's a feature, the stories, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can share those directly to your stories. That's a built-in feature of the platform. Yep. You're, you're copying somebody else's content and sharing it right there. Um, Twitter, people are posting, you know, typically short phrases that may not, or may or may not be copyrightable, or copyrightable, but um, that whole platform is built on retweeting people, mm-hmm. sharing people's other, uh, you know, their expression. Um, and the law moves slow. It's not a fast-paced thing, especially when we're talking about Congress, or, you know, passing sta- bills and things like that. Case law moves a little bit faster, but that's still very slow. And a lot of cases they resolve before they're resolved on the merits. So they settle or something and you don't get a decision. So um, there's not a whole lot of case law that resolves specific issues to social media at this point. Um, But there's considerations and factors that apply the, the same way they apply to traditional art that would apply to how you would share it on social media. Um, so do those fair use um, exceptions apply to, to, I mean, is that why you're allowed to share stuff that somebody else made? It's because it's kind of helping society out. Well, that was sort of the, the, ben, the you know, um, benchmark that you set. I, I would, it, you know, it, 
the the first thing that comes to mind for me when I'm thinking of um, whether you're allowed under copyright law to share somebody else's Instagram post, for example, to your stories, is um, th- there's right you can get permission from somebody to share or copy their work. Express permission is kind of the best. I have in in writing, hey, you can use this. Exactly. Yeah. Express permissions, the gold standard, but that's obviously not always. <laughs> Rare. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not always possible. And is there some, um, and I'm, you were probably going to get to this, but what I'm imagining is that just by signing up for using the platform, you expressly acknowledge that the, I mean, inherently there's, this is the function of it, is to share. So that anything you make and put on it is subject to be shared. Sure. And you've yeah. given up your, you know, you've assumed the risk of it being shared. Yeah. It, at, at minimum, I'd say there's, that's called implied, um, implied license is the term of art you'd use in copyright law, where, you know, you, by your conduct, you've demonstrated that you've, you're giving people permission or somebody in particular permission to copy your work. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say at minimum, by signing up for these these platforms and posting your content, um, there's probably some implied uh, license for people to share it, copy it using the conventional um, tools that are on the platform. For, so like I said, the Instagram stories, um, when you post something, you know that other people can put that on their yep. Instagram story. Twitter, you, you make a post, you know, post a video or post some kind of picture or something, you know that people can retweet it. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked at the, the terms and conditions of uh, Instagram and Twitter in a bit, but the, I know at some point they, at least Instagram had some, um, some provisions about giving, you know, you give permission for, for people to repost yeah. your stuff. So, I, you know, that's another, that you, you may be having giving express permission when you sign up for those. Well, one of the things that we run into, which is, I think it, it's certainly an interesting phenomenon that's happening right now, and that brands look to us, at least for that, that preliminary level of guidance, is, you know, Facebook is 20 years old. Facebook took X amount of time to get to 100 million users. Twitter did it a little bit faster. Instagram ramped that up significantly. Now we're in a place where, you know, Facebook starts to recess. TikTok has taken this massive step forward and it went from, you know, 100 million users to 2 billion users in an extraordinarily short period of time. Um, and, And so that's changing very quickly. And now, you know, not to pivot away from social, but we've got chat GPT and open AI that have taken that amount of time and truncated it down to, to weeks. And so the, you know, the, like I said, what, you know, the brands that we work with and in marketing in general, people come in there like, well, what do I do with this? And so it, it seems to be adding complexity all the time as to whose ownership is what. And now that when something really catches fire, whomever is the originator of that content is earning money. And so now you get into, hey, I'm, I am a influencer on one of these platforms. I'm earning money. Am I reposting something? What kind of friction do you get there? Like, I mean, that seems to me, if somebody with a big audience reposts your stuff, you know, that would, that would potentially have some legal ramifications. Are you, are you asking from the 
um, influencer's perspective about whether they can take something and, and yeah so I think you know you have these people with you know 100 million person audiences who curate and reshare and yet they're you know they're, they're ultimately compensated on the total number of views in their in in their own individual platform uh, and in their account and I'm curious as to you know what kind of nuance that's that that's a that's a tricky one yeah, I mean, if I'm advising an influencer and they're considering using somebody else's content to, you know, post it on whatever, YouTube, um, you know, Twitter, whatever, um, they they have to go through the same considerations that anybody else would. Um, and, you know, just because you, you think, you know, I talked a little bit about fair use and implied license and things like that, permission. Um, you know, e- even if you you think you, you fall into one of those, it's not a guarantee that you're not going to get sued. And um, you need to think about from, especially if you're like a successful influencer, that may come off as having deep pockets and you go yeah. and, and you, <laughs> you use somebody else's video or something um, and repost it, you know, you might be a good target. And that goes for companies too, right? Like, you know, it, the considerations of, you know, just, you know, me or, you know, yeah. somebody else on the street wants to go make somebody a post with on. 300 followers. Yeah, exactly. They're not going to be a target, but a big company, you know, re- re- copying or using somebody else's content, you know, if that if that other person sees an opportunity, it, it's not a guarantee um, you, you won't get sued. But I, I actually have a so I but I do think that has to be that concern has to be tempered by the the reality that the average person who makes some content that's pretty cool that then gets shared by someone or some group with deep pockets i mean that individual isn't doesn't might not have the money to pay for to bother right for the for the lawyer's rate to like sue the person or company with the deep pockets so i mean what the chances don't seem that hot right there's that there's also that yeah, no, that, that's definitely fair. And what I was going to say is um, you, you need to be thinking about, you know, through the lens of who you are and, and you know, what you're doing. You're, you're using usually somebody's content for a commercial purpose if you're, you know, marketing or advertising or something like that. Um, and then you have to look at also, like, the, the author of the content and think, you know, it's all a spectrum of risk and if it's somebody, you know, who like an individual who who may um, be excited to uh, have their stuff shared. Right. Like if it's a fan of a brand, you know, you can consider that in, in your risk assessment. And right. You think, you know, they're, they're probably going to be excited. They probably, um, you know, you can there, there might be, you know, factors that might you might be able to think maybe they gave implied, you know, license permission. Like you mentioned tagging. Yeah. Um, tagging somebody or brand or something in a post, um, I don't think it's a guarantee that that's permission, but it's a factor. It's something to consider, and I would consider it along with other things as well because I, I, I want to say there is a case, a recent case, where that came up. Um, it didn't get ruled on on the merits, but it was um, – so a professional photographer posts – 
they, they, this photographer would post things on Instagram, right? He would, you know, post his art on Instagram. And um, sometimes he would use a third party to post his work. He would license it to a third party. They'd post the work. And that third party in this case, so the photograph, I should back up, was of a Volvo car and a model posing by it. And he, he po- that third party posted it, tagged Volvo. Volvo saw it, loved it. They ended up, I think, making like a whole marketing campaign using the sure. images. And part of it, you know, they did put it in their stories, their Instagram stories. But I think they also used it on their website and some other places. And the photographer sued for copyright infringement. And one of the defenses in that case, I believe, was that they tagged, um, they tagged Volvo. Yeah. So that's implied license. But it, you have to think about, like I was saying, who tagged you had, Volvo? Um, the, the photographer or the middle person? That middle, the middle person. I'm probably mm-hmm. making that, that part's kind of confusing things, mm-hmm. but the, you know, that Volvo was tagged in the Instagram post. So Volvo said, look, we, we had permission to use this because we were tagged. Um, but the, this is why I think it's important to consider who the author is. Here you have a professional photographer who makes a living licensing out their work. Yeah. You should be careful there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of social media-related IP cases are the plaintiff is a photographer, yeah. which makes sense. I mean, that's how they, they make their living. Um, you don't see a lot of cases where it's just, you know, a, a, a fan of, you know, Legos posted, uh, you know, one of the creations they made. This is the thing it, I did with my seven-year-old mm-hmm. and then tagged Lego. and Right, yeah. yeah. You don't see a lot of those cases. So I think, like you said, it's fair to consider mm-hmm. who the author is. Mm-hmm. How likely are they to sue me? Mm-hmm. How likely are they to have really, you know, given implied permission to, to copy it? Mm-hmm. Um, those are all factors I would put into the... When you sue someone for uh, for copyright enrichment, do you have to show any that you were any damages that you suffered in any way, um, either financially or otherwise? So emotional, <laughs> emotional damage. <laughs> there, there, Your ego. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a couple different ways you can get damages if you're if you're a copyright plaintiff. Um, you can get actual damages, which is that that's what you think you're talking mm-hmm. about, is you show that you were harmed, you lost money somehow. Um, like the photographer, for example, might be able to show, hey, I've licensed out my work for X amount of dollars. That's how much I lost out when you copied it without my permission. Um, you can also get statutory damages, which ranges from about like 30000 to like 150000 if it's willful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's certain conditions you have to meet to to get the statutory damages, but um, you can also get, in addition to the actual damages, you can also get profits that were attributable to the copying. Okay. And I, uh, this is one of the things that we deal with a lot. Is so we have brands that vary wildly on their comfort level with this. And to your point, I mean, there's no there's no answer. There's no one definitive. It's it's varying levels uh, 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 of the conversation. But, you know, tagging a brand and then getting shared by that brand or getting liked by that brand is is attractive. People, it is part of their strategy. Um, you know, so, you know, how do brands protect themselves from... You know, I'm sure there's a tremendous number of people who are, you know, trying to catch them slipping. 
But conversely, the audience, the real audience of a brand loves user-generated content. It feels more authentic. It feels more from the heart. It feels like a rating and review that they can trust versus a brand just having a, a highly polished, um, you know, this is our, our feature and benefit. Um, so yeah, what does a brand do? I'm, I'm guessing that you guys probably workshop this with brands to, to create that level of risk. Sure, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, like we talked about before, you can, you know, looking at the, who the author of that content is and whether, yeah. you know, they'd be okay with you sharing it, that's one factor to throw in. Um, we've, we've worked with a client before uh, who, who kind of had a campaign where they, they made, um, their product was related to like the craft industry and um, they wanted to have a marketing campaign where they had users on Instagram uh, post their creations they made with the product and um, they would repost those. So they ended up, uh, we, we put together an agreement for them that got express permission from them. That You know, that's on the very, very safe side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think there's other ways to, to go about it too. You, you might consider um, if you want to have maybe like a hashtag that would be unique to um, your mark that campaign, right? If you, say your Lego, for oh, example, that's interesting. You know, may, maybe have a hashtag that um, is unique to that campaign. That's not, um, you know, wouldn't be used conventionally, and you could use it to distinguish kind of some or to identify some consent from the user, right? Like if they put this, you hashtag, actively are participating mm-hmm. this knowingly kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, you can even if you want to be safer about it, you could maybe put. Um, put some terms and conditions on your website about that campaign mm-hmm. um, and, and that sharing it, using that hashtag gives you permission to share it, that kind of thing. Um, but it's really about trying to figure out if you're trying to get some evidence or show that you're the person, the author of the content is okay with you yep. sharing it. So I mentioned before, this is, we did not discuss this, but I think it, it does especially as, as uh, this has become such a hot topic. So artificial intelligence has been utilized in a multitude of things that we just become very comfortable with in our phones, speakers in our houses, so on and so forth. And, you know, OpenAI, ChatGPT are starting to create in a very meaningful way. Uh, and, and people are looking and talking about, oh, how is this going to alter marketing? And nobody's got any idea. Um, but one of the, you know, one of the, the things that people are, are, are kind of pontificating on is, oh, I can, you know, I can create a great social campaign that I can go into OpenAI or ChatGPT and say, boom, 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 here are my variables, create me imagery, create me a post, create me, what, what kind of, what kind of nuance does that add into this whole discussion where it's being created by a machine that's owned by Microsoft or whomever. You know, what, what does that do to the conversation? Because it is going to be a big piece for us moving forward because, you know, we, we have subscriptions to Getty Images or iSpot where we go in and we pay for and utilize this imagery that is licensed from an artist. And that seems to be under attack in a pretty significant way. 
Yeah, I, I imagine there will be some fallout from all this, uh, you know, these recent developments from, you know, the AI perspective. I think there's a very recent lawsuit that I've seen um, popping up lately, you know, on, on I follow a lot of lawyers on Twitter and whatnot, but I think there's a lawsuit where Getty Images is actually suing um a company or you know a company that owns an AI program that creates images yeah based on the Getty based on Getty images database oh um wow well it, they, it sounds like they should be sued mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so you know there's there is a case out there that if might you do say so yourself yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my, my legal opinion. Well, they, I, but I, I think there's something you know I I should have looked at this before I came in. But Sorry, I dive-bombed you. I apologize. <laughs> but I think the images are slightly different. They, they look, like, off. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're not copies. They're just in the style of? They're not copies, but they. I think they use, they're, like, um, almost, like, mashups of different images maybe creating a new image mm-hmm. i'm I, i'm th- there's a case out there right now and i'm probably mangling it but it, it, it the images i saw they looked like they were like almost like mutated images but i think they were based on the getty images and getty uh sued them so there are cases out there i think from from you know a marketer's perspective trying to or considering using um some ai generated materials I, I I may start with you know finding out where they source their images, yeah. what kind of license you're, you're getting, you know they're giving their users. Um, you want to be careful about that. That that's going to be over the next couple of years a, a really interesting conversation because you know we have X percentage of our clients who love being leading edge. You know, they love trying whatever's new. These are people who three years ago were like, yeah, we're a brand. We, you know, we'll put a, we'll put a TikTok channel up and just see what happens. But, that, you know, that's part of who they are. And this one seems to me, because I've, you know, I've had people ask me the question like, oh, cool. Could we just start using ChatGPT or OpenAI in order to start creating some unique imagery and this and that? And, you know, oh, the benefit of it is that maybe I don't have to pay the subscription anymore. But it really seems to me to be wrought with risk right now. And the problem is it's so easy to do. You can, you can spin it up so quickly that you mentioned copywriting code before. I, I'm not a coder, and I can go in and have SQL queries run, or you know any uh, you know anything else. It really is entering an interesting area of AI that we never had. Maybe at a corporate level, you did have access to, but you never had individual access to it. That just all of a sudden the floodgates opened. Yeah, an interesting question. If, if you're if you're using like chat GPT to say uh, create you know a, um, a brand story or something like that um, who is the author of that Th- that's an interesting question because mm-hmm. the, the AI is the one creating it right <laughs> yeah. it, no one really authored it um, assuming they didn't just copy it from Wikipedia yeah or well right. AI is creating it based off of inputs mm-hmm. you have to you know it does nothing it is a static entity until you command it to do something, which is freaky to say mm-hmm. even in, in and of itself. But, you know, it, are, you, are you denoting some sort of authorship by strictly giving the command and the variable in order to create something? Right, does authorship require sentience? Yeah. 
wow we we might see I mean, we might see a case on that because there there was a case um on in the patent space of whether ai could be an inventor and mm-hmm. and it, they were found to not be able to be considered an inventor oh, okay um so it, that the, that case may come down the pipe in the copyright context too but what is really interesting when it, when you're talking about ai and all these kind of social platforms is that they move so fast and case law and statutory adjustments move relatively glacially you know so i mean so much can happen so much change can happen in real time in real life before anybody who's in charge of anything you know regulatory can even start to think about it well i think this does necessitate a second episode yeah so i of course, the two lawyers are ecstatic to go deeper into copyright law. Um, but I think it's awesome. And thank you, Andy. I, I deeply appreciate it because this is something that is becoming ever present for us um, in, in different ways than we've dealt with before. So uh, for Nadia Shiner, I'm Jeff Culleton, Andy Alexander from, uh, see if I can do all three names from uh, Calfee, Halter, and Griswold. You got uh, it. I did it. Yes. <laughs> uh, signing off, but stay tuned for uh, another episode uh, of The A-Game. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to The A-Game, an Adcom production. Adcom is a marketing partner in Cleveland, Ohio, creating measurable returns for our clients. Like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find us on your favorite social networks. <laughs>